let's realize that true perfection consists in the love of God and of our neighbor. And the more nearly perfect is our observance of these two commandments, the nearer to perfection we shall be. As I've said a lot of times, this is the royal law. This is it. This is what it's about. Love God with all your heart and all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, it's probably the most difficult thing you'll ever do. It's not that God is so unlovable. It's that people are really difficult to love because we can't seem to get beyond looking at them. Somebody said, I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. And that's really true. It's easy to love abstractly. But when you get down to a person, it can really really get difficult because the five senses and our intellectual judgment based on the five senses is very harsh and gets in the way. To love God with all your heart and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself, there's only one way to do that. And it can't be done the way we love. It can only be done spiritually. So we're talking about a different kind of love. And we don't like talking about a different kind of love because we only like to talk about what we know. We don't like to talk about what we don't know. And we don't know that divine love. We only know human love. Sadly, it's not enough. Teresa de Avila goes on to say, our entire rule and constitutions are nothing but means which enable us to do this the more perfectly. Let's refrain from indiscreet zeal, which may do us great harm. Let each one of you look to him or herself. Today, I guess we'd have to have 54 different, uh, it's not just himself or herself, there's 52 other made up genders or whatever that we would have pronouns or whatever that we'd have to stick in there. But needless to say, I don't have to do that because I don't subscribe to idiocy. As I have said a great deal to you about this elsewhere, I will not enlarge on it further. This mutual love is so important for us that I should like you never to forget it. For if the soul goes about looking for trifling faults in others, who doesn't do that? Which sometimes may not be imperfections at all, though perhaps our ignorance may lead us to make the worst of them. It may lose its own peace of mind and perhaps disturb that of others. See then how dearly perfection can be bought. The devil might also use this temptation in the case of a prioress, and then it would be more dangerous still. Much discretion is necessary here, for if it were a question of her contravening the rule and constitutions, it would not always do to take a lenient view of the matter. She would have to be spoken to about it, and if she did not then amend, the prelate would have to be told. To do this would be a charity. This would also, boy, I got to tell you, I'm so glad I'm not in a convent or a monastery. All the rules and regulation stuff would just drive me straight up a wall. Doesn't say much for me. This would also apply to the sisters where the fault was a grave one. To say nothing through fear that taking the matter up would be yielding to temptation would itself be to yield to temptation. However, to prevent deception by the devil, it should be strongly stressed that no sister must discuss such things with any other. Well, gee, no gossiping. Now you've taken away all the good stuff. We love to gossip, don't we? Of course, we aren't really gossiping what we're doing. We're just discussing people and their flaws and what irritates us and la-da-da-da-da. For from this practice, that is, discussing it with each other, the devil can pluck great advantage and start habits of slander. These matters must be discussed, as I've said, only with the person whose concern they are. You know, one thing I really enjoyed, uh, the Tales of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, Aslan tells the kids... 
That's between him and the one person or him or the other person. And I think that's such a brilliant illustration, just like in the last chapter of John, the Gospel of John, when Peter says, well, what about him? (laughs) Jesus says, what's that to you? Follow me. In other words, it's none of your business. And I think that's so crucial. And sadly, I don't think that it's something that is often taught by so-called Christian teachers, pastors or whatever they call themselves. And it's not taught because it's not practiced. Just that simple. We tend not to teach what we don't practice. And if we do, then our hypocrisy runs high and, you know, we run the danger of people realizing what hypocrites we are. We hate that. It's a very good idea to not develop habits of slander. These matters must be discussed, as I've said, only with the person who's concerned they are. Here, glory be to God, we keep almost continuous silence, kind of like you do here. You keep almost continuous silence. I say almost because, unfortunately, it's not a perfect silence. Every once in a while, somebody has some brilliant, stupid thing to say, and I go, oh, please, really, do you, did you, you have to say that? And of course we do because our egos force us to say things when we know we shouldn't, but we just can't keep a guard on our mouths. We can't, you know, what does James say about the tongue? It's a very small thing, but it can set the whole world on fire. What can I say? The tongue is the cause of a world of hurt and we can't control it. We keep almost continuous silence so that the opportunity does not arise. Nonetheless, it is well that we should be on our guard. Yeah, I think it's well that we should be on our guard too. In fact, probably more than she's admonishing the sisters in the convent to keep guard. We're moving now into the second mansions in which there is one chapter only. Let's now come to consider who the souls are that enter the second mansions and what they do there. I want to say very little to you about this because elsewhere I've written of it at length and it will be impossible for me to avoid repeating a great deal of this because I cannot remember anything of what I said. (laughs) You know, that sounds so funny, doesn't it? I can't remember anything of what I said, but I got to tell you, I take these podcasts and I put the recording on the computer. I put it in a program to edit it down from stereo to monaural. Then I take out the clicks and the pops and the screw-ups. And then I take out the long silences that I put in there when I'm trying to think of what to say. Nobody wants to listen to that in a podcast. I take out all that stuff and, and I leave all the things in there that I've repeated, but When I'm listening to it, I think, I don't remember saying that. When I hear it, I hear it's my voice. And intellectually, I know that that means that I said it. But more often than not, well, often, I wouldn't say more often than not, but often it sounds new to me. Now, I don't know whether that's because I'm particularly stupid or because I get in a kind of an altered state of consciousness when I talk about this and Altered states of consciousness are difficult when we are used to our regular state of consciousness or states of consciousness. An altered state of consciousness generally is a higher state of consciousness. Not always, but generally. It's like having a good idea that you didn't write down or a dream that you wake up from and, oh, I got to remember that. And you don't write it down and you don't remember it because it's an altered state of consciousness. And it's more difficult for us to register altered states of consciousness. And even if we do, when we get back to our normal state of consciousness, it doesn't make any sense to us. 
the ideas that we had are difficult to reach from a normal state of consciousness. That's what I'm trying to say. And there I've said it. So be happy or not. If it could be arranged in a different form, I'm quite sure you would not mind, as we are never tired of books that treat of this, numerous though they are. I guess people do read a lot of books on prayer. How many books have you read on prayer? One? <laughs> How about the rest of you? None? One? My God, must have read a dozen books on prayer. So anyway, who are you people? This chapter has to do with those who have already begun to practice prayer and who realize the importance of not remaining in the first mansions, but who often are not yet resolute enough to leave those mansions and will not avoid occasions of sin, which is a very perilous condition. But it's a very great mercy that they should contrive to escape from the snakes and other poisonous creatures, if only for short periods, and should realize that it is good to flee from them. I can't imagine anybody not thinking it's good to flee from them. But on the other hand, there are people who start gossiping and it's the kind of thing that, that doesn't just wind down, it amps up. You know, once you start to do it and you don't check it, you do it more and you do it more and you do it more. It's kind of like eating ice cream for people who like ice cream. And I, I knew somebody who could sit down and eat a whole half gallon of ice cream. A whole half gallon of ice cream. I couldn't do it, but he could. I was amazed, truly amazed. But, you know, it's like that. It's like people who can't stop. And there are a lot of things that we can't stop. Sadly, gossiping is one of them. In some ways, these souls have a much harder time than those in the first mansions, but they are in less peril, for they seem now to understand their position, and there is great hope that they will get farther into the castle still. I say they have a harder time because the souls in the first mansions are, as it were, not only dumb, but can hear nothing. And so it is not such a trial to them to be unable to speak. The others who can hear and not speak would find the trial much harder to bear. Think about it. If you can't speak, that's pretty good. If you can't hear, when do you not want to hear? Well, when you're trying to sleep on a Saturday night and there's a party going on and they're playing loud music and you're trying to sleep and you kind of wish you can't, couldn't hear, I just put earplugs in. That's in the summer when, when the parties are going on and loud music, the bands are going. And because we're up on a hill, anything down in the valley just comes right up in your window. And so I put earplugs in in order to shut it out. But if you can't hear, that's great because you've shut all that out. And th that's really what she's saying. I say they have a harder time because the souls in the first mansions are, as it were, not only dumb, but can hear nothing. If you can't hear anything, that's good. That's like when Camp Pendleton, when they're bombing at Camp Pendleton, you know, boom, boom, boom through the night. It's annoying. Probably not annoying to everybody, but it's annoying to people who don't enjoy bombing. There are people who like it, but I'm not one of them. And so it's not such a trial to them to be unable to speak. The others who can hear and not speak would find the trial much harder to bear. But that is no reason for envying those who do not hear, for after all, it is a great thing to be able to understand what is said to one. You miss a lot when you can't hear, and it really gets to be tedious. It's more difficult to be selective about what you hear. Earplugs make it easier. You can put earplugs in and you can choose not to hear something that you don't want to hear if you're trying to sleep. But if you're just going about in life, that's tedious. 
Unless, of course, you don't want to hear anything anybody has to say. I'm getting close to that. I really, I really don't care much for small talk, for people's blathering. Because people blather, they just mindlessly discharge energy, sound waves into the air. And I think, why are you doing this? And I understand that it's difficult for us to think, that we're not great thinkers, and that if someone interrupts us, then we have to start all over again because we forgot where we were. And I sympathize because I'm doing this, then I, go, I put the book down and I go off on some tangent, and then I can't remember where I was. So I'm not saying we're stupid, I'm just saying that we're, we're, it's difficult for us to focus because we put so much energy into, or I put so much energy into what I want to say that I forget about everything else. And then I have to look around and find out, well, where, where was I? And then try and pick it up again, like I'm doing right now. These souls, then, can understand the Lord when he calls them. For as they gradually get nearer to the place where his majesty dwells, he becomes a very good neighbor to them. And such are his mercy and goodness that even when we are engaged in our worldly pastimes and businesses and pleasures and hagglings, when we are falling into sins and rising from them again, because these creatures are at once so venomous and so active, and it is so dangerous for us to be among them, that it will be a miracle if we escape stumbling over them and falling. Sounds really exciting, doesn't it? Oh, I can hardly wait to get into the second mansion. <laughs> yeah. I can hardly wait to get out of the courtyard. Yeah. I understand. Fortunately, I have no idea about how to map the mansions. No idea whatsoever. And I'd like to keep it that way. I've read things where people talk about this room and that room or this, this thing and this step and that step. And they've got it, you know, they've got it all down. You take 12 steps down into this pool and then there's uh, 35 feet out, there's this. And, and I think, you know, something about this just seems hinky. I mean, maybe it's true, but yeah, maybe it's not. So I have a problem with things like that. But you can be sure that in spite of all that, this Lord of ours is so anxious that we should desire him and strive after his companionship that he calls us ceaselessly, time after time, to approach him. And this voice of his is so sweet that the poor soul is consumed with grief at being unable to do his bidding immediately. And thus, as I say, it suffers more than if it could not hear him. Imagine what it's like. Well, you don't have to imagine. It's like hide-and-seek, or it's like blind man's buff. Put a blindfold on and somebody whacks you or touches you or hits you. You have to reach out and catch them, and you can't see, so you can't. Well, this is you can't hear, or you can hear, but you can't do what he's calling you to do because you're held back by the weight of sin. There's no other way to put it. I hate to talk about sin because people hate the subject. They really do. They loathe the subject of sin, which I find interesting because they don't loathe sin. They just loathe talking about it, the subject. That is, they loathe calling what they do sin. They like calling what they do something else. They don't like calling it sin. They don't like admitting that they're not measuring up. People hate that. And so it's difficult to talk about it because I know where people go with it. I know what a stumbling block it is for people. You remember back in the day when I, when I told you, you can't do? And that's really annoying to people because they imagine that they can do. To talk about sin is annoying to people because they imagine they don't sin. 
And once you get past that imagination and you start to plumb the depths of your depravity, it can really be depressing. But that's the godly sorrow that leads to repentance. If you can make it through the godly sorrow. And most people can't. Most people don't even want to talk about it because it makes them sad or it makes them upset. And so they don't want to be upset or sad or move to godly sorrow. So they never have to repent, which means they get to keep all of their sin. Yeah. A long yeah, time ago. Yeah. 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 It, it was all those. Right. And that's. That was before we, that was before we did the 10 day. After we did the 10 day, I don't think I had to convince anyone with, with examples because everyone had an experience of not being able to focus at all. Everything got in the way. If it wasn't your mind, it was your body. If it wasn't your body, it was your emotions. If it wasn't your emotions or your mind or your body, it was your emotions or your mind or your body, your pain, the sitting and pain of this. And I've got a, I'm itching. And you remember all the things we went through, the ants crawling all over your body. You know, there were no ants, but we could feel them crawling on us, you know, and it was just maddening. That's what it is. It's maddening to the intellect to face its weakness because the intellect, unfortunately, appears to be the source of the ego. And the ego hates ever being wrong, ever making a mistake, ever looking bad, ever. It just hates it. It hates it so much that it will actually not see it. It just won't see it. It hates it so much that it will not even hear criticism. The words can be spoken. They cannot be heard. If you've experienced that, great. If you haven't, well, then I guess... I don't have anything to say to you because you're not ready. That seems so arrogant, doesn't it? For someone to say, well, you're not ready. Well, sorry. Sometimes you have to tell the truth, whether it seems arrogant or not. I do not mean by this that he speaks to us and calls us in the precise way, which I shall describe later. His appeals come through the conversations of good people or from sermons or through the reading of good books. And there are many other ways of which you have heard in which God calls us or they come through sicknesses and trials or by means of truths, which God teaches us at times when we are engaged in prayer. However feeble such prayers may be, God values them highly. Well, why would God value feeble prayers highly? Because at least we're trying. You mothers, why did you value your child's first steps? Why did you value your child's first words? Because, because of the love you had for them. And that's exactly how it is with God. He values our efforts because of the love that he has for us. A love that we simply do not understand. You must not despise this first favor, nor be disconsolate, even though you have not responded immediately to the Lord's call. For his majesty is quite prepared to wait for many days and even years, especially when he sees we are persevering and have good desires. You know, you talk about the patience of Job. You've heard that phrase, the patience of Job. <laughs> That's nothing compared to the patience of God. How many times have people predicted the end of the world, the second coming of Christ, and it hasn't happened? The first century Christians thought it'd be any day now. And it wasn't. Why? Because of God's patience. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. So he waits patiently, works quietly to try and get 
people to come to their spiritual senses. The last thing we'll ever do is come to our spiritual senses. This is the most necessary thing here. If we have this, we cannot fail to gain greatly. Nevertheless, the assault which the devils now make upon the soul in all kinds of ways is terrible. And the soul suffers more than in the preceding mansions. For there it was deaf and dumb, or at least it could hear very little. And so it offered less resistance, like one who to a great extent has lost hope of gaining the victory. Here the understanding is keener and the faculties are more alert while the clash of arms and the noise of cannon are so loud that the soul cannot help hearing them. As I've said before, you remember, I can't remember which prophet it was. I always get these guys confused. Was it Elijah? Who, 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 who had the, uh, the scribe that was Gehazi? Gehazi? Nobody remembers. Elijah? Yeah, I think it was Elijah too. But if it wasn't, well, crucify me. You know, or better yet, if it wasn't, if I got that one thing wrong, then you can throw the whole baby out with the bathwater. You don't have to listen to any of this stuff at all. And there are people who will do that. I know it's hard to believe, but there are people who do that. In fact, the majority of people do that. They don't agree with one thing, so they discount everything. Sad, really, but such is life. I lost my place again. <laughs> For here the devils once more show the soul these vipers, that is, the things of the world, and they pretend that earthly pleasures are almost eternal. They remind the soul of the esteem in which it is held in the world, of its friends and relatives, of the way in which its health will be endangered by penances, which the soul always wants to do when it first enters this mansion. Yeah, this is a tough one. Getting past, once you, once you start to accept what a flawed, carnal, worldly person you are, and you start to see the evidences, the mounting mountains of evidence that start to pile up when you start to see what it is you actually are. It's horrendous, really horrendous. And you start to regret, pure and simple. You look back at your life and you go, oh, how could I have been so stupid? Why did I do that? All the things that you have to go through, and those are penances. Those are the things that you think you should pray more. You think you should fast more. You think you should do this. Or you think you should do that. Fortunately, we don't go as far as self-flagellation, at least not consciously. We do it subconsciously. And of impediments of a thousand other kinds. Oh, Jesus, what confusion the devils bring about in the poor soul and how distressed it is, not knowing if it ought to proceed farther or return to the room where it was before. On the other hand, reason tells the soul how mistaken it is in thinking that all these earthly things are of the slightest value by comparison with what it is seeking. Faith instructs it in what it must do to find satisfaction. Memory shows it how all these things come to an end and reminds it that those who have derived so much enjoyment from the things which it has seen have died. Sometimes they have died suddenly and been quickly forgotten by all. People whom we once knew to be very prosperous are now beneath the ground and we trample upon their graves and often as we pass them we reflect that their bodies are seething with worms. Well, I don't reflect on that. Of course, I don't go to a lot of graveyards either. But, you know, one of the things that the Buddha did and recommended was that people hung out in graveyards. Well, you know, graveyards in India, uh, they were not like here. If you couldn't afford to be cremated, they just threw you in an open field. 
That was it. That was a burial. They just threw you in an open field and you just let you rot. So he recommended that you go to those places and look at the different stages of decay to impress upon you that you're not going to be here forever, that you're mortal, that you are going to leave this body. Well, of course, that's insanity. We, we, we would think that's crazy. Who would do that? I mean, look at how we deal with death. We have somebody come and pick up the body, take it away, dress it up, put makeup on it, comb its hair, you know, do all this stuff, and then put it, display it in a nice box, you know, and have it, <laughs> have it so that people can come and look at it, you know, and say goodbye to the... That, that just seems so crazy to me. It's like you got an overcoat that's moth-eaten, that, you know, the sleeve, that's, the seams are coming out. It's, it's no longer any good. But you got to send it to the cleaners and you have it cleaned and then pressed. And, and then you, you know, you have to display it like, oh, this overcoat. Oh, what will we do without it? Oh, it's so sad to see this overcoat go. Uh, that's how we are with the physical body. And it's really crazy. It's not so bad in other countries. I think the, uh, the Muslims still uh, wash their dead and wrap them in cloth and, then, and bury them. Um, but we don't do that. You know, can you imagine? I, 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 I knew a, when I was doing funerals back in the day, I knew a funeral director and he was, you know, he thought it was just criminal that people hired him to do their dirty work. He said that the families should get together and wash the body and, you know, wrap it in the cloth and bury it. You know, that's, that was his thing. Of course, that was never going to happen in the United States. We're so terrified of facing death. We're so terrified of death that there's no life past 30 for people under 30. They just think 30, well, you, you may as well die. <laughs> so, so we're really a sick, sick society. When it comes to sickness, death, aging, we're, we're very sick. And it's sad, but there it is. Why it's sad is because we don't value the elderly. And that is a tragedy. That's like not valuing the roots of the plant that you get vegetables from. So if you've got a tomato plant and you've got nice ripe tomatoes on it, it's like cutting off the roots, just cut off the roots. Well, I've got all these tomatoes, so I'll just cut off the roots and the tomatoes will keep growing and I'll get more. No, you won't. You separate yourself from your roots and you are impoverished by that. And that's what we've done. We have separated ourselves from our roots. Not everyone, of course. There are some people who still continue to honor their fathers and their mothers so that it will go well with them. But it's the minority. You can't possibly try and, well, you can try and tell me, but I won't, I won't buy it. You can't, I shouldn't say tell me, I should say sell me. You can't possibly sell me the idea that people respect and honor their parents. Just doesn't happen. Now, when you get older and your parents are dead, then you honor and respect them. Then you look back and you go, well, they really weren't that bad or well, but that's not the way it goes for most people most of the time. Am I wrong? Okay. Just checking because I thought, you know, sometimes I sound, I sound a little, little harsh. I sound like I think everybody's stupid. 
I don't think everybody's stupid. I think the majority of people are stupid. I don't think everybody's, well, okay, I was going to say I don't think everybody's bad, but I can't, I can't really say that. I think the majority of people are just bad to the bone. And I think there are some people who strive not to be and who overcome a lot. But no one's perfect. There's no one righteous. No, not one. All have fallen short. And that's just the way it is. We don't like it. We don't want to face it. It's still true. On the other hand, reason tells the soul how mistaken it is thinking that all these earthly things are of the slightest value by comparison with what it's seeking. And faith instructs us and all that jazz. Sometimes they have died suddenly of being quickly forgotten. Oh yeah, that's right. We were talking about the bodies are seething with worms. Yeah, okay. Of these and many other things, the soul is reminded by memory. The will inclines to love one in whom it has seen so many acts and signs of love, some of which it would like to return. In particular, the will shows the soul how this true lover never leaves it, but goes with it everywhere and gives it life and being. Then the understanding comes forward and makes the soul realize that for however many years it may live, it can never hope to have a better friend. For the world is full of falsehood, and these pleasures which the devil pictures to it are accompanied by trials and cares and annoyances, and tells it to be certain that outside this castle it will find neither security nor peace. Let it refrain from visiting one house after another when its own house is full of good things, if it will only enjoy them. Well, again... We're faced with the understanding comes forward and makes the soul realize that for however many years it may live, it can never hope to have a better friend. I've lived uh, over seven decades. And so I can say my own experience that I can't even imagine having a friend as dear to me as the Lord. I can't even imagine it. I, it's, it's hard for me to call people friends. No, I can. I can do it, but it doesn't come easily. Because I value words. I value the true meaning of words. That is, every word came about with a specific meaning. That's what made the word. What made the word was meaning. Unfortunately, when words, because language, like English, is a living language, so it's constantly changing. It's growing, it's shrinking, it's changing. But unfortunately, we imagine that change is always for the better. <laughs> and that's just not the case. It simply is not the case. If we knew history, if we studied history, and the people who do study history see that it is a cycle. It repeats itself constantly. I, I was having this conversation with Connie the other day. History repeats itself because people don't learn. She was of the opinion, I think, because you can never really tell what her opinion is, because as soon as you try and nail her down on her opinion, she changes what it is she meant. So some people don't like to be wrong, ever. And so they just keep on changing it until they're finally right. They don't know they're doing it, but they do it. Anyway, I think her position was history repeats itself because that's what history does and that people can't change history. They can't change the future because they can't do anything about the present because they can't do anything about the past. In other words, once, if something has happened 10 times, people, like, it, it, the argument doesn't, it just doesn't hold water. You burn yourself on a stove. Well, chances are you'll be very cautious around that stove for a while. You cut yourself with a knife while you're cutting vegetables. Chances are you'll be very careful for a while after that. 
maybe not forever, but for a while, quite a while, depending on how badly you cut yourself or how badly burned yourself, it has a way of reminding you to be cautious, to be careful that that's a dangerous thing if you're unconscious, if you're not paying attention, if you can't focus. Let's face it, you know you can't focus. People listening probably don't know they can't focus. But maybe some do. Maybe there are, there are two people who do know they can't focus. So then this is for them. This is really for the people, not the people who don't know and don't want to know. This is for the people who are beginning to know and have the courage to face more knowing. And let's face it, it takes courage. You go from the first mansions to the second mansions, and it's much more difficult. Well, how many people do you suppose turn back at that point? You know that it's the majority that turn back, that only the remnant go forward, only the remnant press on because of the trials and tribulations and the, the grief of it. This is a hard way. This is why I'm calling this the way of the cross, because it is the way of the cross. It is the way of suffering. It is the way of tribulation. It is the way of trying and testing. And it's not fun. It's like the furnace for gold, the crucible for silver. I think that's how it goes. It's very hot and it's very unpleasant to be in that kind of heat all the time. So people seek relief from that. And relief is always back where they were. Rarely ever do they press on thinking there'll be relief in the next mansion because there probably won't be. <laughs> yeah. So you got to have quite a will to be able to do this. As I think she has already said, how much will it takes. So she goes on to say, trials and cares and annoyances. Let it refrain from visiting one house after another when its own house is full of good things. That's where we left off. If it will only enjoy them. How fortunate it is to be able to find all that it needs, as it were, at home. Especially when it has a host who will put all things into its possession. Unless, like the prodigal son, it desires to go astray and eat the food of the swine. Well, again, the reason I don't have a very high opinion of people in general is because of what they eat. People don't eat good things. When I'm talking about eating, I'm not talking about physical food. I'm talking about impressions, ideas. People love negative emotions. They love them. They're addicted to negative emotions. They love drama. They love all of the things that excite them physically. And all of those things, drama, and no matter how depressing it is, no matter how horrible it is, excites them physically and they crave it. Um, you know, for example, you've heard of people who are accident prone. What does that mean? Well, what it means is they're prone to have accidents more so than other people. Why is that? Well, there are certain personality types that are accident prone. You don't find many middle-of-the-roaders who are accident-prone. You usually find them on either end of the spectrum, either the type A personalities or the cowards. There's not, who, who has accidents in cars and motorcycles? Well, I'll tell you, the people who are type A personalities who are speeding, reckless, careless, driving too fast, not considering road conditions, not considering other people, not considering. Those people get into accidents and cause accidents. And who else? The people who are afraid of everything. The people who drive 40, 40 miles an hour in a 65 zone. The people who sit at a stop sign and let 12 cars go by because they're afraid that if they pull out, somebody might hit them. Those people also 
cause accidents. So you'll see it's, it's not the middle of the rotors, it's the people on either extreme. And I think that's the way it is with this as well. It is reflections of this kind which vanquish devils, but Oh my God and Lord, how everything is ruined by the vain habits we fall into and the way everyone else follows them. So dead is our faith that we desire what we see more than what faith tells us about. Though what we actually see is that people who pursue these visible things meet with nothing but ill fortune. Why is it that bad things happen to good people? It's just not fair. Not fair to us because we are stuck on sugar. We are stuck on sugar. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. So what do we have to have when we get the medicine? Well, we've got to have the sugar with it. It has to be palatable. We won't take it otherwise. Back in the day when you had to mix headache powders and things like that and drink them, uh instead of just popping a pill. Now we've got them coated so that you don't have to deal with like an aspirin that tastes bitter and kind of acidy. Let it melt in your mouth, it's nasty. But if they coat it, you can just slide it right down, you never have to taste it. And that's, how, that's what we are. We are creatures of comfort. We only want comfort, we only want good things. And unfortunately, nobody learns through their successes. You only learn through your failures. I've been down in the shop the past two days working, woodworking, and I made something that I needed to make, not needed to make, but I wanted to make. It was this, like the second or third try. I tried on a piece of wood that, uh, you know, I didn't really care that much about some scrap wood. Then when I thought I had it down pretty well, I, I used a, a better piece of wood. And I finally got it made. I had so many problems with it. Just, I would forget to do this, or I would do the wrong side. and It's like I'm dyslexic. It's not dyslexic at all. Re really what it is, it's just, I'm an idiot. I just don't focus on what I'm doing, and I don't remember the steps. And it's because I'm learning. Now, of course, I can use a table saw, chop saw, radial arm saw, router. I can use all these things, but just in the primary way, in a fundamental way, you know, cross cut, rip cut, you know, fundamental things. But when I get into more complex things, then I'm learning. And when you're learning, the only way for you to learn is by doing it. And then when you do it, you find out that you can't hold that line, moving a router by hand, freehand with a router along a line. And it never works the way you think it's going to work. It just doesn't. You've got to have some kind of guide. And if you're routing a strange shape, you can't have a guide unless you go to the trouble of making a guide, making, you know, all of this stuff. And by that time, you don't want to do it anymore. At least that's how I am. Um, I can understand if you're making 50 things, then they're all the same, making a jig for that. That makes sense. But if it's a, a one-off, you're just doing it by hand, and it's that piece of wood is going to behave differently than the next piece of wood, because that's the way wood is. So you've got to be constantly learning. So I, I really laugh when I hear people who call themselves woodworking masters, and I think, oh, I guess you learned everything you want to learn. But I haven't. I'm still an apprentice I'm still learning, and I'll be learning for years. I've been doing this for years, and I'll be learning for years. Well, maybe not so many years now, because I'll probably die, but it won't be in the shop, my guess is, because that's so relaxing, except when it's not. And when it's not is when you're making mistakes, and when you're making mistakes, you're learning. So that's why I say we don't learn from our successes. We learn from our mistakes. But what do we want in life? Only successes. We don't want any mistakes. Well, then what you're essentially saying is, I don't want to learn. 
I don't want to be any better than I am now. I don't want to progress. I don't want to evolve. I don't want to change. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to press the envelope. I don't want to get outside of my comfort zone. I don't want anything that I haven't had before. And I don't want a lot of the stuff that I had before because we learn from having things that we don't want them, like chicken pox or something like that. Okay, where, where, where are we? Oh yeah, I like this one. So dead is our faith that we desire what we see more than what faith tells us about. Why is it so hard to walk by faith? Well, I'll tell you why. Because faith is leading you to trials and tribulations. Faith is leading you to the mirror. Faith is leading you to the mirror. You will look in that mirror and you're going to catch a glimpse of yourself. And when you do, you're going to be appalled. It's not like looking in mirrors now. Well, it is like looking in mirrors now for you. <laughs> there are some people who are so funny. They look in the mirror. They go, oh, my God, what happened? <laughs> I showed somebody at the gym. I showed somebody a picture that I had. I'm like, I saw a picture of me back in, like, 74, 1974. And the girl says, oh, you were really good looking. What happened? <laughs> Which is, you know, that's the way people are. Yes. Uh, they just, they're just idiots, you know. I mean, it's not even blurt stuff out. It's like they don't have sense. They don't think. You don't have to ask somebody what happened. Clearly, they're, they're you know, in their 20s. Clearly, here, standing in front of you, they're in their 70s. That's what happened. And that's what I told her. Well, I got older. That's what happened. And guess what? And here's, here's the news. Here's the news flash for you, toots. It's going to happen to you, too, if you're lucky. Well, what do you mean if I'm lucky? If you don't die before you're 30. That's what I mean by if you're lucky. But then, of course, maybe dying before you're 30 is lucky. Why do you think they say the good die young? So all this is the work of these poisonous creatures. That is all the ill fortune that people of faith meet up with. You know, it's like, let's get back to the gym. That's a, you go and you start off at the gym and it's hard. You sweat, you hurt. If you're on this side of this, you know, the member of the middle people, the road, the people who are causing accidents, both the fringe. If you're a fringe person, if you're type A personality, you go to the gym and you get injured. That's what you do. And if you're the other kind of person, you go to the gym and you don't do anything really. You, you just do repetitious, stupid stuff with two pounds. You don't get anywhere. You do, you stay comfortable. You don't ever press. And if you're going to the gym, you're going to the gym because you're not in good shape. You need exercise. Well, if you're not in good shape and you need exercise, it's going to cost you to get in good shape. That's what it's going to cost you. And that what it's going to cost you is it's going to be hard. It's going to be hurt. And not only that, but then it's going to be fine. Oh, you're working out and you got the endorphins going. That's great. But the next day and the day after that, it's not going to be great at all. It's going to hurt. Your muscles are going to hurt. You're going to have pains in places you didn't know you had places. I went out and chopped wood the other day. Swung the axe for a while, and then I had to go sit down. I thought, man, I'm really out of shape. And the next day, it was like, oh, everything hurts. It never happened to me. I mean, it didn't happen to me when I was going to the gym five days a week because I got past all of that, and my body was used to it. So... I mean, if I really, really worked out hard, then, you know, I'd feel a little something. I know I'd feel that muscle. It didn't hurt, but I knew it was there. 
But when you first start out, if you're really working out, if you're just there at the gym to, you know, using it as a meat market, using it to find somebody to hook up with, well, then of course it's not paying for you. If you're on a treadmill and you're talking to somebody you want to be talking to, it goes by pretty quickly. If you're there alone, it goes by a lot more slowly. Anyway, my point is that you're doing something good for yourself exercising, working out, but it's painful in the very painful. This is the same thing. That's what she's saying. She's saying that what we actually see is that people who pursue these visible things meet with nothing but ill fortune. All this is the work of these poisonous creatures, which we have been describing. For if a man is bitten by a viper, his whole body is poisoned and swells up. And so it is in this case. And yet we take no care of ourselves. Obviously a great, well, here's how we take care of ourselves. We run like hell in the opposite direction. We get out of the mansion just as quickly as we can. We're the prodigal son who starts on the road and his feet hurt because he doesn't have any sandals. And he goes, well, forget this. And he goes back and gets back in the pig pen where there's mud and other nasty things the pigs wallow in. And his feet feel better. So there it is. That's the way it is. You turn back. That's what people without will, people who have faith, everybody has faith. Everybody has faith. It's what they place their faith in that makes a difference. It's what they mix their faith with that makes a difference. Got, uh, if you're cooking and you've got this thing and this thing and you mix them together, you get another thing. But it's not always good. You know, it was a good idea, but then you try it out and it didn't turn out. And you think, eh, I'm never going to do that again. We had a dinner like that tonight. Connie said, oh, I don't think it was a good idea to use that toasted sesame seed oil. I think it was rancid. It's like, yeah, I thought there was something kind of off about the meal. So, you know, you just find out and there it is. But does that mean she'll never use toasted sesame oil, sesame seed oil again? No, it doesn't mean, well, it may mean, but it wouldn't mean that for me. It would mean I just wouldn't use rancid oil, but then that's me. Obviously, a great deal of attention will be necessary if we are to be cured and only the great mercy of God will preserve us from death. The soul will certainly suffer great trials at this time, especially if the devil sees that its character and habits are such that it is ready to make further progress. All the powers of hell will combine to drive it back again. Make no mistake, the further you go, the more subtle the attacks. Jesus was baptized by John and immediately went into the wilderness, fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and then, in that weakened state, was then the devil drew near. He is not interested in people who are in, you know, religious or spiritual euphoria. He's interested in keeping them in that because that can be worse than not that because we get addicted to it, and then we won't do anything unless we get that. But when we're weakened, that's when he can really go to town. And, you know, here's a newsflash. The devil's not fair. There are no rules for him. You're the one with the rules. You're the one who can't hate, can't murder, can't kill. You're the one who shouldn't steal, commit adultery. You're the one who those guidelines are there for. He doesn't care at all. Not at all. Those are all the things he wants to do to annoy the guy he's rebelling against. So he doesn't play fair. He's not nice. And he waits until you're in your weakest. And then he uses everything in his power to drive you back. That's why so many people backslide. They start off great. Everything's great. But as soon as they, well, let's look at this. A sower went out to sow. Some of the seed fell on the roadside. The birds immediately came and ate it. What does that mean? It means some people, you tell them and they won't even bother with it. 
They just go pshaw and they leave. And then some fell in rocky soil because there was no soil, didn't have many roots. And as soon as the sun came out, the sun meaning heat, tribulation, as soon as they, the sun came out, as soon as they ran into an obstacle, they withered and died. That was the end of that. So there's that kind of person. And then there's the kind that it fell in among the thorns, the weeds, and the weeds and the thistles grew up with it and choked it out. Some seed, though, falls on good ground, and it bears 30, 60, 100. What does this mean? It means that most people don't get it. The road, the rocks, and the weeds, and then there's only one good ground. So 25%, now that's really stretching it, that's only in the field, 25%, but we're not talking about how much seed falls in each little patch. There, so you think, oh, 25% of people, no. <laughs> no, it's not that way. The way it actually is, is the seed that falls in the good soil bears fruit, but not much seed falls in the good soil. Why? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there's just not much good soil. Maybe we have abused it so much that there isn't good soil left. You have to really look for You go out to garden here, you're really stuck. I mean, what they could grow here back in the day was lima beans. It was a crop that they didn't have to water, and it was a crop that could grow in clay soil, and it was a crop that actually made the clay soil better. So it actually helped the soil. We don't do that anymore because people don't like lima beans or whatever. I don't know the story is with people today. I mean, you know, they don't have lima beans, but they don't have lima beans at Burger King. They don't have lima beans at McDonald's. They don't have lima beans at Panera they don't, or wherever you eat. I guess you eat everywhere, don't you? They don't have lima beans at Del Taco. And the reason they don't is because people don't like them and because they take too long to prepare. And we don't want to eat something that's good for us. We want to eat something that tastes good. What tastes good is grease, salt, sugar. That's what tastes good does. Grease, salt, sugar. You can take anything, put enough grease, salt, and sugar on it, people eat it. Yeah. Okay, I'm being warned about the time again, so I better stop. Okay, good night, have a pleasant tomorrow. If I can remember where I left off, we'll pick up next time with that. If I can't, I'll bore you to tears with something else. Mm -hmm.